Luckily, I'm old and I don't care if anyone respects me anymore. So I can say without fear that, yeah, some, you're a freshman this year, right? Actually, I'm a sophomore. Okay, okay, sorry, sorry. Uh, oh, um, everyone's getting so old so quick. Um, Remembering on both sides that civility is not a sign of weakness and sincerity is always subject to proof. Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. You are listening to Speaker Points, an NSD China podcast. Welcome to Speaker Points, the NSDA China podcast, where we talk about speech and debate in China. Today, our guest is Amy Chen. Amy is a NSDA China alumni. She debated when she was in high school. She was the 11th best speaker at the 2018 NSDA China Nationals. She was also the NSDA China Chindu Regional Champion. She attended Shenzhen Foreign Language School when she was in high school. And now she is studying history and economics at the University of California at Berkeley. But most important for anyone listening here that's young and looking for more coaching, she is also going to be teaching online classes on Saturday mornings and Saturday evenings uh, for NSDA China in the fall. So welcome, Amy. Hi. Hi, Kale. <laughs> Uh, good to have you on the show because uh, we've worked together before. I've, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we met um, at the Fort Lauderdale U.S. Nationals Tournament. Was that the first time we met? Yeah, I think so. And I swear I didn't plan this, but I actually have the... the yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> um, Great memory. <laughs> now, uh, before, let's go before we met though uh how long had you been debating before you went to that u.s nationals tournament i would say my debate experience wasn't long i didn't start debating until 11th grade i believe yeah so it's probably only a one-year experience and i did not go to many debate tournaments as a lot of debaters do I only, I would say I only attend like tournaments around the Guangdong region. So mostly the Shenzhen regionals. How did you first find out about the tournaments? Like what, how'd you get introduced to NSDA or debating? Oh, so I joined the debate club in my school, uh, Anshin Foreign Languages School. And um, club is mostly for um, foreign and attend the NSDA tournament. So that's how I get to know the NSDA tournament. What made you want to join the club? Did you have a friend in it? Uh, pressure from your parents? Uh, what, what was it? I would say my initial drive was to like get the chance to speak more and read more. And I believe during my 11th grade is my first time that I step into the international curriculum system. Like first time I start learning APs. So I want to get more exposure of the 
English content in general, and I believe debate is a great way to start with. So I decided to join the club and get to know the NSD tournament, which is a great experience. I know there's a lot of students that get introduced like you to debate kind of late in their career, eleventh grade, like you said for you, and met a lot of students that. They think that's too late. They think, oh, I'm other kids started in middle school or started in ninth grade, and I'm going to be starting from behind. And they maybe tell themselves it's not worth it to start so late. You ha- obviously had some success being Chengdu regional champion. What do you think that there's any truth to that? That you're at a disadvantage for starting so late, and it, even if there is a disadvantage, why did you decide to still stick with it? So I would say that. There's definitely a disadvantage for me to to start late because for those young debaters who start early, they have a lot of tournament experience. They know how to structure their speeches. They they know how to make them sound very persuasive and with a lot of strategies. I would say, but however, it doesn't like having strategies does not mean that you can win all the time. So even for those debaters who start late, it doesn't mean that can't win. Honestly, debate is all about first prepping. You definitely. Need To read a lot of like background evidence, cut many cards about a topic, about a resolution, and also like practice more with your teammates or with your classmates. You can practice debating basically anytime, anywhere. Like you could do it at home. You can do it with your parents. It doesn't have to be like a super formal setting. So I would say definitely there's a disadvantage, but that doesn't mean that it will left you too behind. All debaters have different strengths and strengths and weaknesses. Would you say? That preparation was your strength, like your biggest strength, or was there? What about debate came easy to you, and what you struggle with as a debater? Yeah, sure. So I would say preparation is definitely my strength because I love reading and I love like searching, and especially when I was prepping debate, for many times I got like the searching tech techniques, like the skills, so I can easily and quickly tackle down the evidence, the cards that I need. And as for my weakness, I would say. Coming up with a speech in a very intense setting is kind of hard for me, especially when you met a lot of when you meet a lot of debaters who do spread and speaking like super fast. I would say that's a really intense situation for me because I'm not a fast speaker. But I would say, like from another perspective, speaking in a relatively slow speed actually leads me a lot of advantages because as for judges, they are also like. People who are listening and they're like they're making notes. So if you spread too much, making notes, it's kind of hard to them. Especially as for me, like because I did judge for this year's tournament, nat- national tournament. And when I met a lot of debaters who spread, actually, I kind of find it hard for me to make all the notes and to write down all the things that they have said. When I was judging, I depend a lot, a lot on my flow. And if I missed a point due to speaker speed, I cannot really take it into consideration. So I would say, although coming up with us under an intensive situation is kind of hard for me, but it also lead- gives me some advantage by speaking in a relatively A slow and peaceful speed. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. It's something that I think doesn't get talked about enough. I think a lot of judges, especially young judges like you, who are trying to make a name for yourself in the community, you know, you want to be respected. You want to be considered a good judge. I think a lot of judges don't want to admit that they maybe can't keep up with a spread. 
tastes of some debaters. Luckily, I'm old and I don't care if anyone respects me anymore. So I can say without fear that, yeah, some, sometimes it does go too fast for me. And I've got tons of experience flowing and listening to debate for many, many, many years. And I think that, unfortunately, like I said, a lot of debaters will pretend when they're evaluating and judging, they'll pretend that they've heard it or they've got it all down and kind of give a little bit of unfair advantage to a team that looks like they sh or sounds like they should be winning, even if they didn't get all of it down in a value. And yeah, I think in the United States, in the college policy world, where it's the fastest debate in, in any type of format, it's kind of weird because there people are much more open about admitting when something is unclear or too fast. I mean, they probably won't say too fast because they don't want to sound that they're slow, but they will admit that it's like not clear. So I didn't evaluate, you know, or I didn't hear it. Meanwhile, in public forum debate, it's fast, but it's not as fast as policy. And people are so scared to admit that they never, they didn't understand something in the speech. Yeah. And also that's from like an audience perspective or a judge's perspective. And also from a speaker perspective, I found it really interesting. When I was in the NSDA US finals, I actually watched the policy debate finals in the US. And I found it pretty interesting that they actually slowed down their speed like really much. They're just like speaking in a very normal and peaceful way that I heard in the semifinals, they're basically the debaters are spreading. But in finals where it's a more public and more open platform, I would say actually the debaters lower their speed. So I think this fact actually backs up the point that speakers should not spread too much because debate after all is to persuade people, no matter they are with debate experience or without a debate experience, they should have made it make their points clear. But by making your point points clear, your first point is to let people understand what you're talking about. It's actually, that's a tradition and it's an interesting one. It's a tradition that at the finals of US nationals in policy debate, they will slow it down and be very open, uh, easy to follow debate. Partly, I think, you know, it's because the judging pool in finals is usually not the technical judges. It's more of the kind of well-known figures in the community that may not be policy judges. They could be original oratory coaches or drama coaches or this or that, you know. So they're adapting to their judges and audience, but also it's just, it's kind of viewed as a, just like I said, like a tradition. The coaches will tell their kids, do not go fast in this final speech. Don't embarrass me. Everyone goes slow in the last debate. While we're on the subject of that U.S. Nationals, so you said you spent most of your time debating in the Guangdong area, China, Southern China, and then you decide to go to U.S. Nationals. How different was it, the debating style for public forum in southern China and public forum when you went to Florida for nationals? Yeah, I would say the debate in Florida or the debate in U.S. is more an impact-based debate because as for me, I do struggle with impacts because beforehand, I'm more of a logic person. So I would destroy my 
opponent's argument by destroying their warrant. For example, I remember there's, I think the 2018 NSDA US is about NAFTA, and there's a well-known contention about like how NAFTA will help boost infrastructure. And a contention about that, about untying that infrastructure is that people will use the roads and bridges there to transfer bad goods like uh, tobaccos. Or, well, tobacco is now illegal now, but basically some bad things. And I would, usually for me, I would say, oh, even though, okay, so I would say the people who are transferring the goods, not the infrastructure's fault. But for the US debaters, it will exacerbate on the impact of those goods, like how it will destroy society. And uh, it turns out that the US judges are more onto the impact-based arguments, even though they know the warrant, they know the roads, they know the infrastructure uh, shouldn't be accountable, like, or should not take full account of that transformation of goods. However, given that the US debaters have constructed a very pretty much like a pretty good uh, argument on how those goods are devastating, they still want the So I would say it's a pretty big difference for me. And it really shocks me, actually. Yeah, I think that's uh, really insightful, actually. And it's something that uh, maybe I'll try to integrate whenever I'm working with students in the future for US nationals and stuff. It sounds like what you're describing is that there are a little judges on average at US nationals maybe are a little weak on holding debaters to their lengths and their warrants. They can be kind of, they can be kind of seduced by a big impact and uh, overlook some shortcomings in the warrants and the lengths of that impact, which if that's true, I mean, the wrong thing to do is to say, oh, U.S. judges are bad. The right thing to do is go, okay, I need to make sure my impacts are really big and I can get away with a lot more stuff. Yeah, I would say a good thing to do is to find the balance between warrant and impact. And by both addressing the warrant and impact, it will be a better thing to do, especially when you're attacking your opponent's contention. Not Do not only attack their warrant, you should also address their impact to persuade the is at the U.S. Nationals. Absolutely. So you were a junior when you went to, or rising junior when you went to that Nationals, is that right? Or rising sophomore? I think it's rising junior. Mm -hmm. So you started in 11th grade. By the end of 11th grade, you're going to U.S. Nationals. Um, a lot of debaters might be too, find that pretty intimidating to go to U.S. Nationals with only less than a year of real debate experience. What motivated you to go to U.S. Nationals? And was it something that you, that you think was worth the experience, even though you maybe went before you had fully developed as a debater? Okay, so as for the first question on why I, I decided to go to the U.S. Nationals, I would say my pure incentive is to get more debate experience because I know I'm kind of restricted Restricted within the Guangdong region, I and I do not attend many tournaments. So having such a chance to go to the U.S. nationals will be definitely help to me, regardless of the results. 
So I would say that's my pure incentive to get more、um, debating experience. I would say based on my understanding, I think the best way to improve your debate is to do more debate, to attend more,、uh, to participate in more tournaments. And as you're debating, you're improving. So like yeah, so that's my pure incentive.、Mm-hmm. And as for the second question on the concern of lack of debate experience and how U.S. nationals help me to boost my experience and how like. What I get from the U.S. nationals, I would say, firstly, I've met a lot of great debaters when I was prepping in Shanghai. They've offered me a lot of help, and we've developed a great friendship. So I would say that's the biggest achievement and the biggest、uh, joy that I have received. Especially, like it's the same for the NSDA China tournaments. That when you participate in one tournament, you actually can met a lot of made a lot of new friends. And I think that's a very important impact of participating in debate tournaments. And secondly, it's definitely how U.S. debaters how they frame their arguments, how they in a very persuasive way. I would say that's definitely a big thing that I learned. Thirdly, I would say it, I get exposure to more forms of speaking. So back in China, it's more restricted within the public forum and also the OOs, the speech. But in the U.S., actually, I know there's a lot, lot of other forms of speech. For example, like I, I believe there's drama and there's. Also, like a lot, <laughs> I can't remember the exact name of the forms, but there's definitely various forms of that. And I've watched a lot of finals, and it really impressed me. So I would say through that nationals, I not only met a lot, lot of new friends, get a lot of experience, but also I have widened my perspective on speech. So it's not simply about、uh, like attending tournaments. It's not simply about Getting awards or winning something—it's more on how people express their opinions and in various ways that can persuade people. So I think that's really amazing. I couldn't have said it better myself. And when you won the Chengdu Regional, was that your senior year? I think it's my junior year.、Uh-huh, I kind of、so- get messed up with the timeline. <laughs> so before you, went, before you went to nationals, probably. Yes, yes. I think the reason why I was invited to nationals is because I won the、um, championship.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how like the NSDA contacted me.、Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I mentioned at the beginning, whenever I introduced you, that you are currently studying history and economics at the University of California, Berkeley. I'm sure there's lots of students out there listening right now that are jealous or hopeful that they can also be getting into Berkeley when they're in your position. Would you say that your debating career in high school helped you、uh, get into Berkeley? And- It's a definite yes because I wrote incorporating my、um, debate experience into my personal statement. Basically, it's debate is a theme for my PS, so it definitely helps me a lot with my college app. Then the、uh, now that you're a sophomore and you've had one year of college, have you noticed that your debate experience has it helped you in any way after you've gotten to college? Everyone knows that debate. Can look good to get you into college, but a lot of people stop paying attention after that. Have you found that 
I would say definitely yes, especially for my assignments like essays. Basically, you'll find that、uh, writing essays in college is like writing a case. You need to have your resolution, basically your claim, and you have to list out several reasons with warrant and evidence cited, cited different papers or citing different readings, I guess. So. I would say debate helps me a lot, and it can be seen on my scores on my different essays. I would say it's all like it looks all pretty good, and I would say debate helps me a lot because I basically use the logic of writing a case to write my essays. Yeah, so it definitely helps me a lot. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent agree with that. And I even when I was in college, sometimes I'd have a research essay assignment or an essay assignment. I'd be like, ah,、oh, that's. Really similar to something I worked on debate, and I would basically just grab all my old files and then find the evidence that I needed to make my、uh, essay arguments. And I'm sure with history and economics, I mean those are two subjects that you probably gained some knowledge from working on debate that comes up in the subjects of those as well, right? Yeah, so I remember there's a resolution on economic globalization. I think it's a few years ago. So, like through that globalization resolution, I've learned a lot about the、um, economic structure and a lot of facts about international situation. I would say, and also a lot of mechanisms on how different、uh, countries interact with each other. So I would say that that definitely helps me a lot with my college classes. Honestly, I initially tend to study、um, international relations,、uh, which is under political science, and I would say that resolution helps me a lot to to grab a whole picture of what exactly、um, international relations is like and how like how countries decide their strategies based on their national interests. So I would say that definitely helps me a lot.、Mm, absolutely. During this COVID situation, I believe you told me that you are actually taking classes remotely while staying in Shenzhen. Is that right? Has this been a disappointing experience? Are you happy to stay home near family and save money, or do you miss California? Pros or cons? Which way would you vote? Okay, so I know this position shouldn't. Be made by a debater, but I would say I cannot really make <laughs> a pro or con decision because, well, as for pro, definitely I can enjoy enjoy my time with my family members. I can enjoy the food. Like the food is definitely much cheaper in China compared to the Bay Area, and also I can meet a lot of friends who are in different U.S. universities because we are right now all back in China, so we can meet regu like regularly, routinely. However, for cons, I would say definitely the virtual setting is a discouraging experience, especially for social sciences students like me. I really value the class engagement and interact. Action with professors as well as my peers and also my teaching assistants, TAs. So、um, being virtual kind of set an obstacle for me to build a real connection with them, especially when I was studying materials concerning the society. Like for example, when、uh, I'm right now studying the、um, pre-Civil War American history, and I've been reading a very interesting book about.、Um, A, a Spanish colonizer named Cabeza de Vaca, and his experience in the、um, Americas, basically his、uh, exploration of the North America. However, like because of this virtual setting, the discussion of 
um, my history class kind of gets a little bit a little bit down. I would say people mm. are not very willing to participate in materials. Someone is, like sometimes people will just mute uh, themselves and not speak at all. But if you but if it's in an act, actual like physical setting, like people are forced to speak. And people will definitely be more engaged with the discussion. So I would say virtual setting kind of discourages my study. For me, it's more a con <laughs> for the virtual studying because I really miss California and Berkeley right now. It's interesting to hear you say that, uh, and I totally understand. Unfortunately, my experience was a little different. I didn't go to as good of a school as uh, Berkeley, so. The classroom discussions was often me talking and the professor and that's it and everyone else wishing I would shut up. They might, my classmates might have preferred a virtual setting where they could just mute me. But one pro of it is opportunities to be a part of the community for NSDA China. I know one big pro for us was to be able to have you and others like you come and judge um, nationals this year. Was this your first time being a judge or had you judged before? I've judged like school um, debates, but hmm. it is my first time judging the NSDA tournament. And uh, how was the judging experience at nationals? Uh, did oh, It's spectacular, I would say. Um, Especially right now, I'm a judge. I'm different from debaters. So it kind of brings me a new perspective of how debate tournament is like and kind of let me realize some mistakes that I made uh, beforehand as mm -hmm. a debater, especially the importance of um, summary and final focus speeches. Because during my judging, I would say a lot of, um, they focus more on the interaction and the refutation of their opponent's argument. So sometimes, uh, even in summary, they will make the summary as another rebuttal speeches, another rebuttal speech, which to me, actually it's very disturbing because I really want someone to help me clear all the um, stuff on the table during summary speech and kind of help me to list the voting issues of this 15-minute debate. I would say that's, uh, that's definitely another mistake that I would make when I was a debater. And I noticed that this is a, a mistake that a lot of debaters right now, a lot of young debaters right now, they're still making this mm -hmm. mistake. So I was hoping they could improve more on their summary and final focus speeches. <laughs> I think um, you're 1000% correct uh, because, you know, I judged all the finals and the judge, even at the highest level, all the debates I judged, in my opinion, kind of fell apart after the rebuttals. Got really sloppy, got really messy, got really unfocused, and uh, strategy kind of went out the window. And they just kind of fell back on uh, the blocks they were comfortable with. And there wasn't any sort of mitigation of the clash between the two teams in the summary and final focus. Yeah, I think that's a big weakness that all debaters in NSDA China needs to focus on and get better at no matter what level uh, they're on. Did you judge high school and middle school? Yes, I judged uh, both divisions. Mm -mm -mm. Was there anything that surprised you in either division about the debaters? Yes, definitely. So 
I found it really surprising that a lot of middle school debaters, they actually did a better job than the high school debaters. Mm. That's really impressive to see like an eighth year, uh, eighth grade kid doing like a much better job than the 11th grade kid. Mm-hmm. So like with uh, similar oral skills and similar, I would say, like, yeah, or oral speaking skills. So I would say that's really impressive. Yeah, there seems to be this trough sometimes, not with everyone, you know, there's a bunch of debaters out there, but there seems to be this little trough that once they get like a lot of good experience, they're, they reach that high level, they hit this roadblock where they start to suffer a little bit because they start to care more about like winning with style or impressing the other debaters. Um, just winning loses its allure as much. And in doing so, they actually kind of, they're a bit, their effectiveness goes down a little bit because they're kind of trying to be too smart, if you know what I mean. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like they got way too far. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, is, there's probably a life lesson hidden somewhere in there as well. Um, a lot of life lessons with debate. Talked about summaries and final focuses being kind of a weakness. You kind of jumped, anticipated what I was going to ask. Are there any other like common weaknesses you saw as a judge that you think like the average debater out there that might be listening to our conversation should be focusing on improving? Besides the summary and final focuses, I would say rebuttal is Mm. another. This is also a mistake that I made when I started to debate. It's like when I was prepping for debate, I will cut a lot of cards. I will write the blocks um, in advance and during debate. When I heard that, oh, that my opponents make some like similar con- uh, contentions and I didn't listen to their contentions specifically. Mm. I just heard, okay, so when they say, for example, take the tournament's resolution, PAS, as an example. So, for example, when I, w- when I heard that contention to organ donation, then I will just block my uh, block my hearings and I just think that, oh, I understand what they're talking about. And then I scroll my all my blocks and then I and when I was doing uh, when I was doing the rebuttal, I would just directly stand up and read um, all the pre-written scripts that I have uh, prepped before instead of fully engage with my opponent's contention. So I would say that that is also a mistake that I noticed during this tournament, because sometimes you can tell if a debater is reading a pre-written, a pre-written blog and they're trying to in- interact or engage with opponent's arguments. So I would say that's a big thing that a lot of debaters should improve instead of the things that you've prepped, you have to engage um, in the situation. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's definitely great advice. Was there a topic during your debate career that stands out as uh, your favorite that you um, always look back whenever you think of debate? You're like, oh, that's the one I love debating the most, or did you like them all? I would say I like them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's not much of a preference because I try to treat every resolution as something that will interest me. So it will provide me with incentives to prep more, to know more about a resolution. And actually when I was looking more into the resolution, I will find it more interesting. I will learn a lot of stuff from the preparation. So I I would say that's another, an amazement provided by the um, (laughs) debate. You'll learn a lot of things 
Have you had a chance to see the fall topic coming up? I think that's on economy, like it's an economy resolution, right? On China specifically. It is the、uh, verbatim in China. Increased spending on welfare programs is more effective at alleviating poverty than increased spending on public infrastructure. That's a pretty interesting topic because, based on my knowledge, I, I don't think NS,、uh, NSDA China's resolution has ever restricted the scope into a specific country. I think that's like the first time that I heard there is in China、uh, within the resolution. What do you think about that? Is that a good, bad thing, indifferent? I would say that better because I noticed that a lot of debaters will because due to our preparation process, a lot of debaters will use evidence from United States, and sometimes they will just intentionally limit the、um, scope of debate into the United States. So, which is kind of I would say.、Mm, Off-topic sometimes for me.、Mm. So、mm. by having a more specific, especially geographically specific resolution, and I would say debaters will be more focused on the resolution itself rather than debating about the whether this evidence should be applied in this scope or that piece of evidence should be applied in this resolution. So it it clears a lot of confusion and、mm. clears a lot of meaningless debate. One. To there to be more discussion in China. I don't think there's anything wrong with having resolutions where you know, as long as kids are being educated. There's two, I think, important qualities every topic has to have.、Uh, you could come up with 50 different qualities and stuff, but there's two like essential ones to make it a good topic, and those are that it needs to be equitable, like some competitive equity. It can't just be super pro bias or super con bias. And then the second one is that it's educational, and I think that there's a lot of educational value to debating what's happening in America, what's happening in the European Union, or Africa, or anywhere in the world. But at the same time, I think there should be a balance, and I kind of always felt like there hasn't been a balance with China. If you look back at the history of NSDA China resolutions, like the first two or three of them are specifically about China. And then I don't think we've ever had one since then in like seven years about China. So for me, that balance was really tipped and not、uh, equal. And I really think that good to have Chinese kids debating about what's going on in China. You know,、uh, whenever. Yeah, I would. De- I definitely agree with that. Especially when you're prepping your resolution, you're. Engaging, you're being educated with a lot of、um, information that specifically, that perfectly meets your education,、uh, the educational purpose of a resolution.、Mm-hmm. Well, after all, because we are all like Chinese students, we definitely have to learn、uh, something about China. Well, absolutely, and、uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these speech and debate kids are going to be、uh, future leaders in China. You know,、uh, people. Running companies,、um, important members of the community and society here in China, and so it's important for them to be thinking about、um, these any issues going on in China, so that they can、uh, be do a better job once they reach those levels of influence. And so, planting a seed to a better future, to use kind of a cliche analogy. To finish off the interview, I always like to. I like to finish the interview asking the guests to 
give us a recommendation of something you've been interested in lately. It can be a book, a movie, a TV show, play, something like that, but something you think the audience uh, should know about because it's really awesome. You already told us you're reading about uh, history in North America, um, but can you give us another recommendation of something you've been interested in lately? Actually, that's a Chinese drama show like I've currently been watching. It's about the legal justice in China, mm. and it's a really sad story, uh, although it's very short, but it's a really sad and educational story. It really pictures how... Um, What's it called? I, I only know it's Chinese name. That's fine, that's fine, man. Uh, yeah, it's called Chenmo de Zhenxiang. Yeah, so let me just let me just think of another thing. So because that that's, like that's more like leisure That's more like leisure stuff. Um, no, I mean leisure is fine. It doesn't have to be super uh, academic or anything. Just uh, yeah. some, something yeah, fun you would recommend it uh, a friend. Yeah. Then, okay. Then then I'll advocate for this TV drama because I nearly stayed up stayed up the whole night yesterday watching this drama. And it's pretty worth watching, I would say. Mm -mm. And what was the name one more time? So by direct translation, it's called The Silenced Truth. Yeah, you can, like, everyone can watch it on the uh, channel called ITE. Check that out on ITE, The Silent Truth. Uh, five star, two thumbs up rating from uh, Amy Chen. All right. So again, Amy, I want to thank you very much for being here. And thank you for giving back to the community as a judge. I hope maybe you'll be judging some more this year since you'll be in the country. And for anyone listening, you might get to have Amy judge you if you go to maybe the Shenzhen regional tournament. Uh, so be looking out for her and tell her you listen to her on the podcast. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, you can email us at nsdachina at gmail.com. Let us know what you want to hear, what you like, what you don't like. And also wherever you get this podcast, whether it's Shimalaya or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, be sure to give us a rating and a review or something because that helps more people get exposed to the podcast and find out about it. And hopefully we can keep growing speech and debate in China. So until next time, thanks, thanks for listening and uh, see you later.